Turn with me, please, in your Bible to the book of Isaiah and chapter number 57. The book of Isaiah and chapter number 57 and verse number 15. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse number 15. Speaking about God here for thus, saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I want you just to notice that singular word in the text, eternity. And we look to the Lord to bless his reading along with what will follow. In February 1885, there was born in Sydney, Australia, a man by the name of Arthur Stace. Arthur Stace was born to uh, a family with much difficulty. Both parents were alcoholics before he was even born. And Mr. Arthur Stace had hardly even reached his teenage years until he too was a crippled alcoholic. And he lived a life for pleasure and for sin. He joined the army and all of the activities and sin that that brought. But there came a very precious moment in that man's life, Mr. Arthur Stace. Um, I think it was around about 1932, he heard a man preaching the gospel by the name of Mr. John Ridley. And Mr. John Ridley was preaching away back almost a hundred years ago in Australia on this very same text that I have read to you tonight. And the title that Mr. Ridley had for his meeting that night was Echoes of Eternity. Echoes of Eternity. And as Arthur Stace came under the sound of the gospel and the claims of God upon him and something of his sinfulness before a holy God and of the fact of an eternity that will never end, Arthur Stace was broken down and Arthur Stace began to think about his soul. It wasn't too long until that man, Arthur Stace, was saved, gloriously saved, and lived to prove it. And in a meeting um, that took place after he got saved, the preacher again, Mr. Ridley, said that he wished he had a voice loud enough just to shout out over the city of Sydney, eternity, that the people would stop and think about eternity. And from that moment, Mr. Stace had a burden upon his heart to take a piece of chalk nearly every morning and go out into the streets and lanes of Sydney and in his lovely copper plate handwriting along the pavements and alleyways of that vast city, Mr. Stace could be found writing eternity. That's just what I want to speak to you about for a few moments at the start of the meeting. You know, I don't think it's by chance that at least five or six brethren in the prayer meeting mentioned eternity. That's why we're here tonight, dear friend. We're not here to fill a few moments of a Sunday evening. We're here that business might be done for eternity. I want to leave three very simple thoughts with you that I would love that you would take home and think about them. When I think about eternity, the first thing I think about is our departure for eternity. 
our departure for eternity. One of these days, every single one of us in the meeting will head for eternity. Not only our departure for eternity, but when I think about eternity, I think of its duration. The duration of eternity. It's forever. You would do well to think something about the duration of eternity. Lastly, when I think about eternity, I think about the destinies in eternity. For, dear friend, there are only two destinies in eternity. It's either heaven if you're saved, it's heaven if you've known your sins forgiven, or it's hell and the lake of fire forever if you've never had a moment of saving change. Departure for eternity. The duration of eternity. And the destinies in eternity. That's very simple, and I trust you'll be able to think soberly in the meeting tonight about eternity. First of all, the departure to eternity. I've said already that our little while down here upon earth is very short. Time really is only but a waiting room that ushers us out into the big world that never ends, called eternity. This word eternity, it means forever. And one of these days, every single man, woman, boy and girl here in the meeting in Ballyclare, we will take our leave and we will go to be in eternity. You know, I was sobered this afternoon thinking about eternity to think of likely tens of thousands of souls who awoke this morning healthy and well, not a sign of any sickness or difficulty. And as I'm standing tonight talking to you at quarter past five, they're in eternity. They never expected to be in eternity today. You say, what happened? Well, what happened is this, dear friend. Sunday, is it the 26th of February? It was the day of their departure for eternity. It was a day marked in the calendar of God for them. It was a day that they'd never anticipated for themselves. And yet when it came to the day of their departure, they couldn't stop it. You know, wasn't it Isaac that said there way back in Genesis, I know not the day of my death. My question to you in the meeting this evening is this. Have you thought about eternity in the hours, in the days, in the weeks that are past? Or is life just one big busy blur for you? And anything of eternity and of heaven and hell, you try to shut it out of your thinking and not let it disturb your comfort and not let it disturb your soul. Dear friend, in light of your departure for eternity, could we plead with you to ponder eternity? You know, we sing a chorus with the boys and girls. Have you ever stopped to wonder what this life is all about, why you're here and where you're going when your lease of time runs out? Maybe you've been far too busy trying hard to reach your goal. Can you let me ask you kindly, have you thought about your soul? You know, Ecclesiastes says that eternity is written on every heart. The word eternity isn't used in our King James, but it's translated in the margin, eternity. And every one of us have a conscious sense 
of eternity. And I would long that tonight you would settle down to ponder these great matters that are eternal. We've thought about Isaac and he didn't know the day of his death. What about his wife? The scriptures say it came to pass that her soul was in departing. What if this was your day of departure for eternity, dear friend? What if the word were passed? This night should be thy last. Where would thy soul be cast? Where hide thy face? You hear the story often, don't you, of that uh, rich farmer that the Lord spoke of and how he had many plans for many years. And you likely have plans for the week that lies ahead and plans for school, plans for work, whatever those plans might be. You'll remember, won't you, as that farmer had to realize that night that God had different plans. And God said that night, thou fool, this night, imagine Sunday the 26th of February, 2023, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. The departure to eternity. What about the duration of eternity? You know, it's something that still troubles me. Even though I'm saved and sure of heaven, when I look around at those who are not saved, the duration of eternity, it causes me to tremble. To think of a world that had no beginning, that will have no end, that isn't bound by time as we know it. And that's what makes it so hard for us to grasp something of the duration of eternity. But in a hundred years from now, in a thousand years from now, in a billion years from now, every single one of us will still be in eternity. Eternity. What a word. You know, if you spell eternity, those of you here at school, E-T-E-R-N-I-T-Y, is it eight letters? Eternity. And you know if you take the number eight and just turn it on its side, you have that symbol, don't you? Of infinity. Eternity. And I would love that every time you look at the number eight, whether on a clock or on a calendar, whether you're writing it in your homework book, or in your diary at work, every time you see that number eight, you think about eternity, dear friend. Without beginning, without end, ever and ever and ever to be. Isn't that what the poet said? Timeless eternity, shoreless infinity, measureless, limitless, fathomless sea, vastness extensible, incomprehensible, ever and ever, and ever to be. I can't begin to describe it to you what it is. I can't begin to put into words what forever will be like, but we're all going to exist forever. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Dear friend, life is a serious business. We're not here to stay. We're all going out. We're all passing onward, passing onward, Quickly passing, yes, but whither, whither bound? Is it to the pearly mansions, dear friend? Where will you spend 
eternity. An illustration that I often heard preachers using when I was a boy when they mentioned eternity was of a little bird that came to the seashore every year. And every year that that little bird came to the seashore, it would just pluck up one little tiny wee speck of sand, just once a year, one little speck. And it would fly away off to some other distant place and and drop that little speck out of its beak. And then the next year it would come back and take another grain. And the next year, and the next year, and the next year. And do you see, dear friend, whenever every beach around the north coast had been drained, and every beach right out across Europe had been emptied, until there wasn't a single speck of sand left upon planet Earth, eternity wouldn't even have begun. It would only just have started to take place. Eternity, dear friend, could we impress it upon you tonight? It's forever. That's why your soul and its salvation is so important because eternity, it is forever. The departure for eternity, the duration of eternity, What about the destinies in eternity? You know, we could have read in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 gives us a story whereby we get the curtain pulled back for us. The curtain of time is removed to give us a little look out into the future, out into eternity. We see very clearly in Luke chapter 16 that there are only two destinies in eternity. Lazarus, that beggar man that lay at the gate of the rich man, who had nothing in this life but trouble and sorrow and pain, sheltering in the Savior and trusting in his God, he arrived in eternity and landed in heaven, carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. No more sickness, No more sorrow, no parting, no sighing, no death, no tears, no night. What a place heaven must be. You know, there are those in the meeting tonight and you have loved ones who have went on before. And you know that tonight your loved one is enjoying heaven. And you know that one day you will see them. For those of us who are saved, we have that blessed prospect of heaven for all eternity. You know, I would love to whet some soul's appetite for heaven tonight. Salvation's a serious business because you need to escape hell, and that must be emphasized. But salvation's a sweet message because you can be in heaven when life is over and to enjoy the pleasures that God has for you throughout the countless ages of eternity. Heaven is a place of constant light. Heaven is a place of purest light. It's love, dear friend. Are you going to be in heaven? What will eternity be for you? You know, not only do we see heaven in Luke chapter 16, but we see a place called hell. There's nowhere in between. You'll take it kindly from me and the authority of these scriptures before me that if you don't find yourself in heaven one day, 
you will arrive in hell. It won't be your parents' fault. They've prayed for you. They've brought you to hear the gospel. It won't be the Christians' fault. They have gospel meetings, children's meetings, Sunday school, put a Bible into your hand, try to speak to you about your soul. Certainly won't be God's fault. God has given everything that you might be saved and never land in hell. Dear friend, if you land in hell, it'll be entirely your own fault. It's a solemn business. It's a solemn thing to live. We can all get caught up in the busyness of life. Dear friend, it's heaven or hell for eternity. Just because you maybe have a parent or a grandparent or someone that you know who's in heaven is no guarantee that you'll ever be there. For again, we get a little look into eternity, look into the kingdom and that future day. And we see Abraham, Grandi Abraham, Father Isaac, Brother Jacob, and they're all saved and secure, off safe in heaven. And you know there's one missing. There's one boy that's not there, Esau, shut out forever. Dear friend, hell is awful. It's the blackness of darkness forever. I don't have the ability to speak of it tonight. But may the Spirit of God impress it upon you, what it would mean for you to spend eternity in that awful place called hell. Would you not be in a hurry to be saved tonight? There's young ones in the area recently who have trusted Christ as their Savior, and they're sure of heaven, and you could be saved too. I would be failing you if I didn't before I sit down very shortly, tell you how you can avoid hell, how you can be sure of heaven for all eternity. I've said already, God has done everything for you. God has no desire in the, in the death of the wicked. God never intended for a single soul to be in hell. God is longing that you would trust his son tonight. The one that hung upon Calvary's cross. The one that paid in full everything that God demanded because of our sin was paid by him when he offered himself in our place. If you could grasp something of that truth in the meeting this evening, that when Christ was dying upon that cross, when he hung there bearing the sin of the world, he was there for you and he was there for me. That's the difference. Maybe you believe that Christ uh, suffered and bore the sin of the whole world and for the sin of your family and for the sin of everyone here in Ballyclare. What about your sin? Dear friend, if there hadn't have been another sinner on planet earth, Christ would still have had to die. Sin would still have had to be paid for. And what a thrill it is to announce in Ballyclare again that's settled forever is sin's tremendous claim. It's all glory to Jesus. Blessed be his name. How can you be sure of heaven for the long ages of eternity? What does the Bible say? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Trust Christ. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. 
And God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Take the Savior as your own tonight. Claim him. Trust him. He's worthy of your trust. He's waiting to save you. Don't miss salvation over something that you put as a priority in your life. Cast it all to a side tonight, dear friend. Get occupied with him. And as I sit down, I leave you to ponder not only your departure for eternity, the duration of eternity, the destinies in eternity, I leave you with a decision for eternity. Two roads before you lie, and you a choice must make. One upward to the sky, one downward to the lake. We trust that God will bless. We trust that very soon we'll hear of you getting your sins forgiven and reached and saved. We'll continue in the scriptures. Uh, Turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. It's good to be to be here. It's to be uh, Andrew still sharing with her brother Johnny, um, but he wasn't able to be here, so uh, was asked to fill in. But we trust the Lord will give help and to continue to give help. Romans chapter two and verse number four. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Then Ephesians, a few books over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And chapter 3 and verse number 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that is uh, my key text, those last five words, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The Bible is a book full of riches and wealth from the second chapter of our Bible Genesis chapter 2, we have a river that runs from the Garden of Eden to a place where there is gold. And the second chapter from the end of our Bible, there is a, a, a city four square and its streets are paved with gold. And I hope that when all of life is over, that every person who is with us tonight in Ballyclare will walk on those streets of gold and be in the city four square. Our gospel message tonight is a message of of great wealth, not something that can make you wealthy in this life, but something that if you take it to your own will make you wealthy for eternity, make you sure of heaven, make you a possessor of eternal life. I tell you, there's nothing like it. And it would make you, and spiritually speaking, one of the wealthiest folk about Ballyclare. And so we're thinking of the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want to think of the, just for a moment about the riches of his creation. God is a very wealthy and liberal and generous God, even in, even in the matter of creation. I was uh, coming here tonight over the column and I stopped in at the top and looked over uh, the sunset over Slemish and the valley 
And I thought to myself, isn't God a, a very rich God? If you were to take a painting of that there and someone was to paint that and you were to buy it and put it in your house, a great big one, it might cost a lot of money, maybe a lot of hundred pounds, and you would have it for your life. And yet God paints that picture tonight and he'll scrap it and paint another one tomorrow. And every sunset you see and every sunrise and every beautiful scene and every mountain and every river, it's a painting of God. And God is a God of generosity. A God of wealth. It says in Psalm 104, the earth is full of thy riches. And we, we preach a God who is, who is kind to us. We think of what, what uh, Paul said to the people in, in Acts 14. He said, God, God was always good to men in creation, filling our hearts with joy and gladness. And we should be thankful for every blessing we have from God, the air we breathe, the water we drink, God is a kind God. And so what a God we have. Let us not only think of the riches of his creation, but I want to think of the riches of his compassion. For Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. We, we rebelled against God. Mankind is not only small in relation to a mighty creator, but mankind is a rebel against the holy God. And the Bible says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And every one of you, dear friends, tonight, every one of us who are not born of God, are sinners, ruined. Sinners by birth, sinners by practice. The Bible says, We are all as an unclean thing, and all our, unright all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And Romans chapter 3 says, There is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's a good day when a person, a person's life, where they realize that I'm a sinner. Big day. Not easy. Not easy to accept it. Many people think themselves quite good. And uh, they, they think themselves uh, a little better than others. And the, they think they're not sinners because of that. But it's a big day in someone's life where they acknowledge before God that God is right and I'm wrong. They're not far from salvation when they get there. You remember the man in Luke chapter 18 and he said, God be merciful to me, the sinner. The Lord Jesus said it was that man that went down to his home saved rather than the other. And it would be a, a big thing. And that's why we always like to preach. Uh, it's important that we preach this that we do not deserve salvation. No point throwing the lifeline to a person in the sea who's getting on fine, swimming away, and doesn't realize that there's danger. They'll not be wanting a lifeline, but if you throw a lifeline to someone who's drowning, and they know they're drowning, they'll soon grab it, and it would be a good thing if someone in this meeting tonight would realize that I'm going down, going down to hell, going to eternity, and I'm not saved. You would Trust Christ as your saviour because you know you need him. You know you need him. Christ didn't come to save people who, who never felt their need of him. He said that himself. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a good day when someone learns their need. Oh, we would love the people around these parts to learn their need. We are all sinners before God, and yet God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Sometimes we look back 
and we wonder why God ever loved us. Sometimes we wonder the riches of his compassion, that he ever would look down to sinners like ourselves and save us and give his son to die for us. And such was God's love for the human family that he, he parted with his own son and he left the wealth of heaven and came to the poverty of earth. I'm thinking now of Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, which says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I could not describe to you, my friend, how rich he was. Every angel was, was at his, had his own bidding. He said in Psalm 50, the beasts of the forest are mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. And yet we look at him and he lies in a manger because there's no other place for him to go and no other end for him to be. And he lies in a manger in a place that cattle usually ate from. Came, became poor. He grew up in Nazareth as a carpenter. Just a lowly trade in a lowly village, in a lowly family. And we remember the day whenever, whenever he was asked to pay the temple tax and he didn't have anything to pay it with. And he said to Peter, Peter, go and take your fishing rod and catch a fish. And the first, when you open its mouth, you'll find enough. You'll find a coin and it'll be enough to pay for me and for you. I think there of the deity and humanity of Christ. He was truly man, a, a, a poor, humble peasant from Galilee that didn't even have enough to pay that temple tax. And yet, he's none less than the eternal God, for none other than God himself would know that a fish would be in the lake of Galilee with a coin in its mouth, and that fish to be the very one that touched the hook of that rod. Amazing wonder of a saviour who stood and I was thinking also of the riches of his, of his communications. You know, there was no one could teach like Christ. No one. He, whenever Christ spoke, it was like, he, he said himself in Matthew 13, it was like a man taking out of his treasures things old and new. He could speak from the Old Testament. He could speak about, the, the, he, could, he could look at the creation around him and he could tell people stories and parables and the attention of his audience, what it must have been to have heard him. Sometimes he was, he was gr very gracious with people, compassionate, like the time where he said to the woman, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Sometimes he was firm with people like Pharisees and told them, O generation of vipers, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? Christ knew when to speak and when not to speak, when to be, when to be uh, firm and speak about the fires of hell, and when to speak about the glories of heaven. Oh, the wisdom of Christ would have been great to have heard him. And yet he speaks still, friend. Christ still speaks. He speaks in this gospel meeting. He speaks as we open the scriptures. His words are still recorded in the word of God. And it's nonetheless, when you hear the voice of God and you know you need to be saved and you know that it's time you got things sorted, it's nothing less than Christ speaking to your soul. 
And Hebrews chapter 3 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. You know, there was people in the days of Christ that heard him speak, and they perished in their sins. And so, dear friend, it is a, it is a big thing to hear the voice of Christ and turn the richness of his communications. Let us think of the, rich, the riches of his cross, the riches of his cross. Because Christ did a work on the cross of Calvary when he died to save a world of sinners. And it was a, it was a big work. And it was a glorious work. And the wealth of it reaches out to every sinner in this entire world when the Son of God tasted death for every man. And on the cross of Golgotha, our Lord Jesus Christ, none less than God himself, the Son of God, he died on that cross. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. There's a place, there's a big church at the top of our road. Big, lovely, old church. I don't know how old it is. Graveyard around it, big steeple, trees all around it. Very picturesque place. But I'm told that in, inside it, uh, the, gospels, the gospels never preached. The man doesn't know anything of salvation, never mentions the word salvation. But there was a lady, there was a lady belonged to it there and uh, uh, a year ago or maybe slightly more, she got saved by grace and uh, realized that she was a sinner despite all her choir singing and church going and she was saved by grace. And whenever, uh, whenever she passed away, they asked one of the men that knew her what was her favorite hymn. And he told them that her favorite hymn was, was, was 292 in her hymn book, The Lamb of God for Sinners Died, A Victim on the Tree. He gave himself a sacrifice to set the guilty free. I seek no other argument. I want no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me. And they sang it at the funeral in the place. And I tell you, there was enough gospel there to save the whole, the whole lot of them and every visitor that was there too. And isn't it great? Isn't it great to know that salvation is not of works and is not a dead thing, but salvation is because of Christ, the Lamb of God who died for sinners. And died, oh, for, for man, says that hymn, for man, oh, miracle of grace, for man the Savior bled. This is what I want to, want to get to when I'm thinking of the riches of God. God gives by grace. He is a God of grace. That's what riches, God's riches are, the riches of his grace. He doesn't give because we deserve it. It reminds me of a, of, of, of a way back. It was a long time ago because the story's about the king of France. So that was well, a lot of hundred years ago. And he had a vineyard and there was a little boy in those poor days that kept jumping over the wall into the vineyard and stealing a few grapes. And the gardener would have chased him out and chased him out. And um, every day it happened. The king, the king uh, saw this happening one day and he told the gardener, did you ever worry about the little boy? There was plenty of grapes about and to let him take what he wanted for him and maybe his family or whatever and to let the boy be. Well, the boy was thankful and, and uh, after a while the king was in the garden one day walking through and the little boy came with a few old coins, a few grubby little coins that he had gathered up from somewhere and he handed them to the king and he thanked the king for 
for uh, the grapes that he allowed him to have. And well, the king, as you can imagine, was not interested in the little coins. And he said to him something that's, that, that I thought was very, very special. He said to him, son, king doesn't sell grapes. King doesn't sell grapes. Now you take that into the gospel message. God, a God of, of, of vast wealth. And you think that you can take your little grubby coins of good works and good living and maybe doing good to others or trying to do your best before God or read or pray nearly to, 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 to buy salvation from God. God doesn't sell it. He gives it by grace. And no man ever will be in heaven saying, I deserve to be there. Every single person in heaven will be there because of the lamb who died for sinners and died for me. And the song of heaven will be forever to the lamb who was slain. And, uh, and I hope that someone would learn that tonight, that salvation, salvation is, we do struggle and we all struggled, even myself as a young boy wanted to be saved. And I said to myself, if I believe enough, I'll get saved. And I tried to believe and tried to work all that through all that and work it all out. But there came a time, I, I remember sitting in a gospel meeting like this one, and the man who was preaching quoted the words of the Lord Jesus before he died, it is finished. And I said to myself, if it's finished, then I'll just rest there. And that's what I did. It's not me struggling to believe enough work up enough emotion toward the heart of God to please God enough to save me. But I realized that Christ did the work and I trusted him. He paid the price and I took the gift. He paid the price and I took the gift. You see, that's it. Salvation's by grace. Salvation's when you reach an empty hand out and take salvation and God saves you. And some people then go through life and they struggle with doubts and we, we, we pity people with doubts and we would love to help people with doubts. But it's a, it's a big day when in a doubting uh, saint's mind, when they realize that my salvation doesn't depend on me or on my feelings or my mindset, but it's all with him. Responsibility is with him. Let him save me. Let him take me to heaven. It's all of grace. It's all of God. It's a great day when a person reaches that settled peace, when they realize it's over to him. He'll take care of it, and he'll take care of me. The riches of his cross, the riches of conversion, the riches of conversion. That's this passage we're thinking about here. It says, it doesn't say the riches, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. It says the unsearchable riches of the Christ. That is the Christ in heaven. And Paul, when he preached, he did not preach just a story of a man who died in the past. Paul preached a living Christ, alive and in heaven. We do the same tonight, dear friend. You don't get saved by trusting in a story. You get saved by resting your all upon a living man in heaven. A living man in heaven. Who is wealth enough? What about the father's house? My father, said the prodigal son, is bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger. Good day when a sinner realizes that I'm perishing in my sins, but God is plenty of salvation. And plenty, you see, if every sinner, if every sinner in, in Ballyclare trusted Christ tonight, 
the river of salvation would still be as full and free as ever and as large because God is an infinite God. And so they trust that, that there'll be someone who would, who would come to know the Savior. Maybe I should mention that when someone gets saved, it, is, it does make them incredibly wealthy, not in this world, but wealthy for the world to come. And I can tell you, dear friend, that it is a grand thing to be saved and to know it. It's a grand thing to be saved and to know it. Because when you're saved, it's, you could have, you could, you could say to any of these Christians, would you rather have a million pound tonight in one hand or would you rather have salvation? And every one of them would say salvation. Do you know why? Because if they died tonight, the million pound would be left behind. But if they had salvation, they would take it with them. It's the only things that people take with them into the great eternity. They don't take their house or their car. They don't even take their family. But they take salvation. In fact, they're in the, the Father's hands. And he takes them over the waters into heaven's glorious land. I tell you, it's a wealthy thing to be saved. The riches of Christ. Let us finish. And um, we were thinking of the riches of his creation. The riches of his coming. And the riches of his cross and of, his, and of conversion. But let us finish by thinking of the riches of his call. The riches of his call. Romans chapter 2 says, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Dear friend, God has been very, very kind to you. He has called you many times in the gospel. Many times. And whatever you do, don't despise the riches of his goodness. Don't turn your nose up at the God who has spoken to you many times, who has taken you, has seen you come to many gospel meetings, has caused you to hear much preaching and much of the word of God. Don't despise it. Don't despise it. Rest in Christ tonight. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, I saw the wicked perish who came and went from the place of the holy. And even in his day, there were people who went to God's house and came and went and came and went and then perished and died in their sins. It's an awful thing. People who come and go to meetings despise the riches of God's goodness and perish in their sins. Whatever you do, my friend, don't perish in your sins. Turn in tonight. Trust Christ as your saviour. And you will receive the greatest blessing that anyone could ever have. Salvation. Salvation, what a wealth. Salvation, what a possession. I hope there's someone who will come into that tonight and enjoy the unsearchable riches of Christ. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We think of all the need. There's a vast need among us for souls to be saved and brought in. And we pray for thy hand to be opened, souls to be delivered tonight in Ballyclare. We remember Larne, where the gospel has been preached, and uh, Harryville, where we've left, and other parts too. We pray for thy hand, for the salvation of God, for the movements of grace, to reach the dear people. We think of many people around the houses as well who haven't uh, no interest to be in here tonight, no interest in their souls. We pray that they might be awakened and delivered.
and the Lord will speak, speak loudly in our days. We pray for salvation tonight. We ask for the news of blessing. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.